0: The following Dharma talk was presented at Common Ground Meditation Center in Minneapolis, Minnesota, as part of the weekly Dharma series. The speaker is Mark Nunberg, guiding teacher at Common Ground. And again, really nice to be with everybody today as we're moving through our eight-week Buddhist studies class on the Buddhist teachings on the Four Noble Truths. know it's one of the central maps just under um, sort of a mapping out of what this is all about and in the same way you know as uh, one of the real gems of the Buddhist teachings you know he came to understand that this experience that we're having is a natural process so that means the experience of suffering arises in this natural conditional way and that it can also cease naturally lawfully when the supports for it aren't there so we're very much like any other aspect of nature some of you might be gardeners and let's say if the garden is having some trouble you know we'd study the causes and conditions how how's the water how's the quality of the soil the quality of the sun the other elements too much too little wind whatever it might be some cat urinating on the on the plants or in the soil changing the sort of chemical balance in the soil so we we would observe the sort of dance of causes and conditions And we, you know, it's just that basic correlation. Oh, when there's this, there's that. Without there being this, there's no that. So, same thing with the squeeze in our heart, feeling burdened, feeling tight, caught in fear, caught in greed, caught in distraction and delusion and denial, right? Then what a wise person does is You know what wisdom does is say well this is interesting I wonder what the causes for my heart being all bound up are and what we do when we're not so wise is we just thrash about when we're suffering you know we complain we blame we deny but when there's wisdom the very nature of wisdom is to want to know the causes like how has this come to be if it's here there are lawful supporting causes for it being here. And when those causes aren't present, then there won't be this bound-up, hurting heart. I sent along in the email this afternoon uh, actually three articles or two in one link by Aya Mandanandi. Um You probably saw Ajahn Mendanandi when... Uh, um, Aya Mendanandi was part of Amaravati, uh, the sort of Western uh, Achancha lineage. Then all the senior bhikkhunis or all the senior siladharas, uh, nuns and the senior monks were called ajans. But uh, it's more traditional to refer to a bhikkhuni. She's now a fully fully ordained Buddhist nun um, with the term Aya. So Aya Mendanandi. Um, there are two articles and the second one I'm going to read from now Freeing the Heart and uh, it's from the book Freeing the Heart which was a collection of articles by some of the nuns at the time at uh, Amaravati and uh the two monasteries in England and Ayamandanandi um, writes as we embark on that inner journey we resolve to use right mindfulness as our compass to bring careful attention, astute observation and clear seeing to the witness of the present moment and to be ready to meet any hindrance or obstacle that should arise in our path with an awakened awareness and purity of presence. Such a practice asks asks of us a deep commitment, perseverance and fanatical patience. To constantly come back, time and time again, to this moment. And she goes on just to talk about how we're, you know, that kind of devotion, that kind of patience is not a quality that a lot of us have, or maybe has not been fully developed. We sort of want to move on. Like, if this isn't working for me, I move on. I adjust my posture, I adjust my friends. I adjust my job, I adjust my relationships, right? And there's a kind of restlessness generally um, in human existence, in human culture, always looking for a resting place, never finding it, but we keep looking in kind of just slightly different places that we've looked before, yet not finding it. You know how many times Have we looked for satisfaction with a particular sense experience like chocolate? Didn't really deliver. It was okay. It was some gratification. But, you know, didn't really change my life. And yet, the next day, well, maybe chocolate will work today, you know, and over and over like that. And so she's, I really like how she's so provocative here. She says, we have to have the faith, the willingness to surrender to the present moment, and in doing so to be annihilated, to be burned, to go into the fire of the mind without wanting it to not hurt and just to sit there, we enter into a spiritual holocaust, and she you know wants to talk about this on purpose you know so she brings up the holocaust her her ancestors were um Unfortunately, caught up in the Holocaust. And she uh, quotes then in this article from Eddie Hillesum, who, uh, after she had passed away in the Holocaust at Auschwitz, um, I guess they found the journal and published it um, um, after the World War II. And she quotes her, I have looked, so this is a Dutch woman, a Jewish woman who died in the Holocaust, I have looked our destruction, our miserable end straight in the eye and accepted it into my life and I continue to grow from day to day even with death staring me in the face for my life has become extended by death. Living and dying, sorrow and joy, the blisters on my feet and the jasmine behind the house the persecution, the unspeakable horrors, it is all as one in me, and I accept it all as one mighty whole. So I think this is that unshakable patience. And this is especially relevant, you know, as we do the work of our life. Oh, there is dukkha. Dukkha is to be understood dukkha has been understood. These three first three insights that we talked about in the early weeks of the class. And that's stabilizing with the ordinary discomfort, the ordinary unavoidable anxiety, longing, loneliness that just comes with our human life, right? We stabilize with it. We don't imagine it's a mistake that my heart hurts sometimes. That it is uneasy at times, right? We stabilize with it, we're interested in it. Oh honey, the heart's hurting, what is this? Oh, it's to be understood, it's to be, right? It's something to be intimate with, to open and to soften with. Oh, this is what it feels like. So we make peace with dukkha, the uneasiness, the unsatisfactoriness of the heart. And it opens up this whole new arena, right? Where we see how, in a sense, suffering is being fed and suffering can be starved. And it's all about how the mind understands, how the mind relates. Is wisdom relating with patience and curiosity and discernment? Or is the mind not relating with wisdom, but relating with habit and reactivity? and wanting to get rid of and wanting to get something nice and wanting to become somebody and wanting to give up. And that's just, this is the arena that opens up, how suffering in real time is set in motion and how suffering in real time can fall away. This is another quote from um, Eddie's journal, Eddie Hillsum's journal. We must surrender all that is dearest to us in the enjoyment of the senses, and go through a dark night in which we live without their help and comfort. Then, when this is accomplished, we have to sacrifice even our thoughts, and our choices, and undergo a still darker night, deprived of our familiar supports. So here's my interpretation of that, because it sounds like that's not easy, and I don't think it is easy. Um, I mean, not just for someone caught up in the Holocaust in a concentration camp about to be killed, but even for relatively you know privileged people with good fortune, relatively comfortable lives, it's not easy to um, when we're just sitting like in a meditation. And holding the body relatively still, st- staying soft, staying awake, alert, upright, interested. Because the push and pull to move, to get some food, to pee, you know, to think about, to fantasize, those pushes and pulls are there, maybe not extreme, but desiring doesn't stop when we're doing a meditation. And so just staying put for the time we've decided to sit is a profound letting go. And then when the thoughts move, which I'm sure you've noticed in meditation, thoughts move. Memory, worries, planning, questioning, you know, like, is this the right thing to be doing with my time when I have so many things on my to-do list? So all these thoughts move. And this... Uh, like darker night of, not, not feeding on our need for sense experience, like to move, to get a sweater, to get food, to use the bathroom. We're d- during the course of a thirty-minute sit, forty-five-minute sit. We're practicing dying to those acting out, those desires, so that we can observe that. Desires like this. This is the heart that desires. Same thing with thoughts. We stop feeding on the thoughts through that process of identifying with our thought to plan something out. We see the planning mind, but we don't imagine that me planning, I'm going to get something we observe it as a natural phenomenon. So this is what she's talking about. She's not talking about something that just happens in the Holocaust. She's talking about something that can happen in any sit or any relatively settled time of reflection where wisdom is reflecting on the nature of suffering and the end of suffering, which is, of course, happening all the time for all of us. Right. So any moment will do. The thing about formal sitting times is that it's a relatively simple moment, that's all. That's what makes it different than every other moment of the day, that when we're in formal meditation, we've just taken some time, we have the privilege really, to have created relatively simple conditions, a room that's relatively quiet, you know, a posture that's relatively comfortable and upright in a way that supports alertness, where we feel safe to have put a, put aside our duties and responsibilities for a period of time. And when all has been strained away, our emptiness will be filled with a new presence. And this is Ayam Nandi's comments on this quote. In this burning of the self for the ego, we too are asked, With clear presence of mind, with courage and surrender, to give ourselves completely to the unknown. And so, what is to us in those moments the unknown is what is this experience of sense desire? What is this experience of becoming, wanting to be, wanting to figure out who I'm going to, what I should do tomorrow? What is it without identification? That is the unknown. The movement of our life, the movement of sensation in the body, the movement of desire in our heart, emotion and desire in our heart, the movement of thought, what is that movement of life without attachment, without identification? Because that's what's really interesting. We know the experience when The mind is attached to what's happening. I'm cold. I want a warm sweater. And there's some identification, like there's really a me here who wants to put a sweater on because I don't like the cold. Or any other kind of attachment or identification with desire. That's what we know. But do we know desiring without the identification? You see where the patience comes in. So this is Mendo- Mendo- I am uh, again. I'll just reread that uh, first sentence. In this burning of the self or the ego, we too are asked, with clear presence of mind, with courage and surrender, to give ourselves completely to the unknown. We know nothing about this unknown, this unpredictable moment, except that meeting it with full awareness and acceptance is a wholesome thing to do and as soon as we can step toward this moment the only moment we have with heroic surrender we are tasting peace right so this is as she says here in the article an alchemy right it's a transformation and it's all about the second noble truth is all about being patient with dukkha and even more So being patient with seeing the cause. So we're actually observing the attachment, observing the identification. So there's a movement there in the moment, right? Whether we're in a sit or out interacting with other human beings and somebody says something and there's a movement in our heart like, oh, why did that person say that to me? You know, now i got to do this. I had a couple of those moments today, you know, via email, and then there was this real uh, movement in my heart and the uh, habits of mind identifying with the movement as if there's a somebody who was threatened by what that person did or didn't do or said or didn't say. Some reaction and identification. So then the, the dukkha, the squeeze, felt real. Like, my heart hurts. This is a problem for me. I'm bound up, I don't like this, I want this to go away. But with patience, being with that ouch, curious about it, right? I, I realize it's an awakening, it's a little awakening, a little insight, like what is that so-called problem when there's no identification with the movement in the heart? So, you know, life keeps happening, I'm sure you've noticed. Pleasant and unpleasant experience keeps moving. Neutral experience, one thing after another. That's probably never going to change. I mean, the particulars will change, of course. Sometimes more pleasant, sometimes less pleasant, sometimes more neutral. But how we relate to that flow of life. Maybe it's okay to feel this email come in to read the content, to feel the unpleasant response the heart has to what I'm reading, right? But to not personalize any of it. Oh yeah, now this is happening, this is the heart's response. I'm not confused by what I've read, I'm not confused that the heart doesn't like it or likes what I've read. Happy about it, right? So, whatever the particular response, and this is important to understand the practice doesn't take us to the place where somebody writes us an email that's painful or that, you know, not what we expected or whatever it might be. Um, It's not that we become this feelingless creature (laughs) that doesn't feel anything, right? It's really about Uh, letting that, letting our heart be touched even by really strong feelings of delight and happiness and pleasure and unhappiness and pain, pain of loss. Can we be really exposed to the movement of feeling, feeling tone without being confused or thrown around by it? And this is the piece that Ayamendanandi is really pointing to. There's a lot more in this article. I'm hoping some of you will take the time to read it. Ayamendanandi is a very powerful teacher. She runs a monastery of bhikkhunis up in Ottawa, north of Ottawa in Ontario, um, and uh, she has uh, wonderful things online that you can track down, talks that she's given. She's actually uh, taught a few times at um, the Madison community, has brought her in, and she's led retreats in Wisconsin that some of Common Ground people have been able to get to. I'm not sure if she's scheduled to come back, but who knows, hopefully. so we want to learn i think i read this uh, sutta before uh, earlier in the course the buddha you know in, in sort of describing his path said that <clears throat> that with sense experience living having sense experience there is very real gratification when we get what we like or when we avoid experiences that are painful we feel good about that and we should feel good about gratification and he says um, I set out, this is the Buddha, I set out seeking the gratification in the world. Whatever gratification of our desire there is in the world, that I have found. I have clearly seen it with wisdom just how far gratif- gratification extends. So we don't need to be afraid, like when we actually are cold and we get a warm sweater and we put it on. We should really be intimate with how nice it is for the cold that we felt and didn't like now that yucky feeling of being cold has been somewhat extinguished because we got the warm sweater on and that feels nice and it's very appropriate to bring that stability of mindfulness to understand that experience of gratification and then the Buddha says I set out seeking the drawbacks of craving." Right, so there we are, feeling cold, having the desire to be warm, and then looking at the drawbacks of that experience, like how the mind is and has the tendency to identify, get attached to the desire to be warm. Right, so it's not about being cold, and it's not about having a natural desire to be warm when you're cold. But it's the identification, and the Buddha really studied the drawbacks. Whatever drawbacks there are in this sense world, that I have found. I have clearly seen with wisdom just how far the drawbacks in the world extend. Right? Like, what is the problem with desire? Oh, it's this identifying with desire. So we're basically the mind constructs a story there's somebody who wants this there's somebody who wants to get rid of there's somebody who wants to become somebody and when we're when the mind has constructed the story around a permanent sense of self then there is a personal sense of self that feels threatened by not being able to get a sweater right not being a, able to become I want to become not being able to get rid of what I want to get rid of then the heart gets squeezed and the Buddha studied the drawbacks so he studied what is it what is the experience of gratification what are the complications and the suffering that arises because of desiring and then he studied the third thing whatever release there is in the world that I have found I have clearly seen with wisdom just how far freedom from the world extends so this is not freedom meaning not being in the world so much as the escape or the not being dependent not being squeezed by our likes and dislikes by pleasant and and unpleasant experience Desires to become, desires to end, to be done with, not being confused, not getting caught up in the fire of desiring. Doesn't mean there aren't desires, it means there's no confusion with the natural arising of desire. You know, as long as we're living in this embodied way, we have a sensitive body, we have a conditioned mind, conditioned by culture. There will be desire. How could we even imagine life, like human life, without desiring, right? So there's going to be desiring. It's really how wisdom, or the lack of wisdom, how the mind relates to this very natural movement of desiring. And there's a lot of, you know, I think part of it is just how people translate the Buddhist teachings, you know, where. So um, what I like and what, the reason I gave, I think, that first week this 50-page um, or so um, article by Ajahn Sumedho on the Four Noble Truths is he really uses the language, I think, in a way that's useful, where he talks about craving as the attachment to desire. So it's desire plus identification that's craving. And in the talks from the Buddha, freedom is always associated with the cessation of craving, and this is like meant to be a stimulate curiosity. Like, boy, I wonder what this heart is, this mind is, this life is, when craving has ceased, when the attachment to desire has dropped away. And so like I tried in the guided meditation tonight, and and I encourage you when both formally during your sitting times this next few weeks as we move into the Third Noble Truth, which I'll talk about in a moment, but just as a general theme for our daily life and our formal sitting, is to really get interested like a koan. So what is the... Cessation of craving, what is that experience? And what's really ceasing is the mind's misunderstanding of desire. And that misunderstanding of desire arises because we don't have this patience that allows for being intimate with desire, really seeing desire for what it is. It's an impersonal movement in the heart, it's nature. It's how nature moves through this body, this heart, this mind. It's ex- nature is expressing itself all the time by wanting to put a sweater on, wanting to feed, wanting to move away from what is painful. These movements in our heart are going to keep happening until the day we die. And who knows after that? But certainly until then, desire is going to keep moving. moving. And so we have every reason to let it be a teacher. What is desire without attachment? And what we'll see over and over and over again is desire with attachment. So don't be confused by that. Okay, that's where this patience comes in. Okay, this is desire with attachment. The heart's feeling something and the mind out of habit is identifying with that feeling and it has liking with this idea, there's somebody, i.e. me, who likes, who doesn't like, who wants more, who wants to get rid of, who wants to become somebody, like even become a Buddhist or become a good meditator or become somebody who's fully awake and doesn't suffer anymore. right? So these are the places, the ordinary places, wants the end of the week to come, so I have a day off, or wants you know, this debt to be paid off then we see, oh, this is desire with attachment. It's desire that feels substantial in the heart, like there's a squeeze. There's a sense, almost a visceral sense, that there's a somebody who will be gratified if this desire is fulfilled. The desire to get rid of, the desire to get something, the desire to become i keep mentioning these three cuz these are the three flavors of craving when there's desire for a sense experience like a pleasant sense experience with attachment right that's craving for sensuality when there's desire to become somebody then that's craving with uh, with identification craving for becoming when there's craving to be done to get rid of right that's craving for cessation to you know have it all done I'm tired but that's really just craving it's desire with attachment and so when we notice it, then it's like we did with the first noble truth of dukkha there is dukkha it should be understood it has been understood then there are three insights and we need patience to really let these three insights arise there is a cause for suffering it's attachment to desire right? so there is this cause for suffering, for the weight the heaviness in our heart the heart is attached to desire, confused by desire this is not helpful, it should be abandoned as I said last week that doesn't mean we try to make it go away we don't make craving go away as I mentioned at the end of the guided sit the path the Buddha lays out is really a path of understanding. So we see there the craving, we see that there's attachment to desire, we feel the squeeze, we see that it isn't helping anybody, and we're patient. Will this cease? You can use that question. If I if I have a honest, a clear, a patient, a kind, compassionate relationship. With this squeeze, with this craving, what happens? Not will it go away, even, right? Even that can be sort of trying to control things but disguised by the sort of Buddhist veneer. But we're really patient. That's why in Ayamendranandi's article, she uses such graphic terms like the spiritual holocaust or being annihilated, or submission. You know, she's using really strong terms to evoke the sense of patience, that there's something to learn, but we really got to hang out with craving. We have to hang out until any uh, habit of wanting to control, wanting to get something, gets burnt out, because we can't really see what craving is we can't really experience the letting go of craving when we're trying to let go right cuz trying to let go of craving is craving and this is really the root of samsara you know the how we keep replicating cycles of suffering even though we want to be free with free from suffering i relate to my life i relate to my experience in ways that create more suffering more more times around that circle of suffering, over and over again. So to break that, we really need this very vibrant curiosity. So patience is a vibrant, it's not sort of a dead, yielding, despairing, yielding to the moment. It's a very vibrant Like I think there's something to see here, something to learn, but I really need to be intimate, but hands off. There's, the teacher's going to teach me, but I can't. I have to, as she says in that part that I read, you know, move into the not knowing, that kind of profound humility. Because that's the sign that we're really open to learning, to seeing what we haven't seen. The Buddha has a very practical kind of uh, instruction in one of the suttas where he's talking to a character this person's name is uh, Ganda Gandabhakha Ganda It would be good, sir if the Buddha would teach me the cause and the ending of suffering Right? how suffering arises and how it ceases Right? that's the kind of question hopefully you or I would ask a wise human being if we stumbled upon somebody who really seemed to know what they were talking about, right? We'd say, please, you know, how is it that this heart gets bound up and how is it that I can relate, I can show up to my life so the squeeze releases? I experience this unshakable release of the heart. That's what I'd ask. And so the Buddha says, if I were to teach you the origination and the ending of stress with reference to the past, you would be doubtful and perplexed. And if I were to teach you about it in terms of the future, you'd be doubtful and perplexed. Thus, I'll teach you about, I will teach you sitting right there the origination and ending of stress. Listen and pay close attention. I will speak. Setting them up and i like how he says i'm not we're going to do it right here in this moment i'm going to resolve or i'm going to answer your question about how suffering arises and how it ceases with an example right here and so this is what the buddha says to gandabhaka now what do you think are there any people in this town who if they were murdered or imprisoned or fined or censored would cause sorrow lamentation pain distress or despair to arise in you right so somebody dear to you were to be deeply harmed you know would you experience some of that pain and of course he says yes there are some people like that and then the buddha says and are there any people in this town who if terrible things happen to them would cause you no sorrow lamentation pain distress or despair to arise in you Well, he he answered honestly, no. I mean, yeah, there are people that probably wouldn't matter. Just like here in Minneapolis, you know, as much as, you know, I consider myself a relatively caring human being, there are people deeply being deeply harmed in Minneapolis all the time. But, you know, I don't even bother to look in the news. I can't even remember the last time I really read the local newspaper about, this murder or this terrible thing happening I don't you know every once in a while I listen to the local news on the radio but because we you know it's like there seems to be enough to do with things that are close to us and yeah I, I know we theoretically care about terrible things that are happening but it really has a different effect if I hear you know even if I drive by and I see an animal that's been hit by a car You know, it might make a little impression. But if my cat got killed, my heart would really hurt. And so the Buddha sets this up, like noticing the difference between bad stuff happening to some being that we really care about, as opposed to bad stuff happening to people we don't really know much about at all. And then the Buddha says, Now, what is the cause, what is the reason why the murder of some of some would cause you sorrow and the murder of others would cause you no sorrow, and so we should contemplate this like what is actually the difference? And, you know the obvious answer was this is my petter, this is my uh child, or you know this is my house that was destroyed, you know, so of course it's impactful, but the fact that these other houses were burnt down well. You know, yeah, stuff happens. And it's just so interesting how, you know, like with COVID, uh, the pandemic, and here in the United States, uh, at this point, about 210,000 people have been killed, and countless people have had serious illness and lingering effects from the virus. You know, but it's so abstract, all those people who have died, all those people who have hurt. I mean, I know a few people that have... um, had it, but nobody really um, close has had a bad time with it. So it's still kind of out there in a way that doesn't touch our heart or my heart. And then uh, the Gandabhaka answers, those whose murder would cause me sorrow are those for whom I feel this connection, this desire, this passion. Those whose murder would cause me no sorrow are those whom I feel no desire, no passion, no attachment, right? So passion, you know, is an interesting word. We sometimes in English think of passion as like a good, but it actually, the root of passion as a, I forget if it's Latin, but um, means suffering. It's really pointing to the attachment to desire, Now, I don't, I'm not saying that we're not going to be attached to our lovers and our family and our pets and our house and our possessions, but we can know with wisdom that where there's attachment, it's going to hurt. You know, you don't have attachment without vulnerability, without exposure. And sometimes, you know, we consciously choose okay. I'm going to have this relationship and I know when inevitably this relationship changes or this person dies or whatever, it's going to hurt and I'll, I'm making peace with that all along. I'm going into this relationship, this you know um, intimate relationship, eyes wide open. Oh yeah, I'm falling in love. I feel dependent on this Person's love. I really like that they love me, that they want to be with me. It will hurt if that changes, and they don't want to be with me, or if something terrible happens to them. I am aware of that, and we can actually—they can be very powerful teachers, right? Like, why not contemplate all of us who are in intimate relationships with a pet, with a lover. With children, intimate, not in a sexual sense, but just like really um, strong, important relationship with attachment, honestly acknowledging the attachment in the relationship, then, then just look, well, how can I make this relationship more honest about the truth of attachment, given that things will keep changing, that it can't be I can't make it one thing that will always be that way. That's just not how life works. And so the Buddha says to him, Now from what you have realized, attained, plunged into right now in the present, without regard to time, you may draw an inference with regard to the past and future. Whatever stress arising arose for me in the past, all of it had desire, attachment to desire as its root, had attachment to desire as its cause. Thus attachment to desire is the cause of stress. And whatever stress is in arising, will arise for me in the future, all of it will have attachment to desire as the root, will have attachment to desire as its cause. Thus attachment to desire is the cause of stress. So this is our homework, right? So if there's suffering, little, subtle suffering, big, intense suffering, then we can ask, where is there attachment to desire? Where is that in my heart right now? And that's just a reflection like, oh if there's suffering, the Buddha suggests there's attachment, where is the attachment? And then to have an honest relationship with that attachment. Let me be patient with that attachment, and you might find, when there's enough stability, enough curiosity, that powerful, vibrant patience. Oh, this is the attachment, right? So, uh, the cat is sick, you know, and you don't know what's wrong with it. Don't know if you should bring the cat to the vet. Could be a lover, a, you know, a partner could be any kind of relationship with attachment and this person is exposed and you're feeling it. Well, your own financial situation could be exposed and so you're feeling that attachment to your financial security. So whatever it is, these are little teachers for us. Oh, I'm really suffering. I'm really afraid. I'm really hurting. Oh, there's got to be a cause. The Buddha says the cause is attachment to desire. You don't get suffering without attachment to desire. When there's attachment to desire, there's stress, there's suffering. When there's no attachment to desire, there's no suffering. Well, I feel the suffering, so where's the attachment to desire? Oh, here it is. So then we see it. I'm attached, right? I don't want this to happen. There's a real strong sense of a me who doesn't like this. Okay, this is the cause. This cause should be abandoned. Right? And this really stabilizes. like this is where the patience comes in. This cause, this attachment to desire should be abandoned. Sometimes bad stuff happens. It's like this. And then we feel, no, not me, right? So that's the attachment. And we look at that. Oh yeah, that's it. That's the problem. That no, not to me. we we open to that we relax with that we soften with that oh this is attachment to desire this is what should be abandoned right we're not trying to abandon it we're as we get close to it the realization is this should be abandoned like it's not helping this is the cause for suffering so that's how we get close to it is the recognition that it should be abandoned that's different than um actually trying to get rid of something trying to change something so this is why we really need to hear the teaching on patience like this powerful love it's really patience is a kind of love like I in love with the wisdom you know the intuition that there's something to learn here and what are we learning that craving ceases, that attachment ceases through the purity of being with it as it is. Seeing it clearly with integrity allows letting go to happen. And that's an insight. Like uh, one of my teachers, Sayada Utejaniya talks about insight is always surprising. It's like, oh, the problem hasn't changed you know, my cat is still sick or whatever example, whatever situation you're working with where there's attachment, right? Circumstances haven't changed, but all of a sudden there's no attachment. There still may be some pain, like you see the cat uh, not being comfortable and it touches our heart as it should, right? The heart is touched by another being suffering let's say or you even with your own financial insecurity you know you feel the tender-heartedness of of that exposure but there's no identification that's what ceased so it's just uh, the poignancy of the moment without the weight but it's hard to put into words that's why the buddha is really inviting us to really see that moment when suffering ceases and it's really interesting in one of the discourses, um, the Buddha talks about like, where suffering arises is where it ceases. Here, let me just read this before we end. Now what is the noble truth, the ennobling truth of the origination of stress, of suffering? The craving that makes for further becoming, accompanied by passion, right the attachment delighting, relishing now here, now there, craving for sense experience, craving to become somebody, craving to, for something to end. And where does this craving when arising arise? And where, when dwelling, does it dwell? Well, so where do we find it? Well, wherever there's an experience that's endearing, alluring, in terms of sensuality, in terms of what we like. That is where this craving, when arising, arises. That is where, when dwelling, it dwells. So it's right here in our this reality of sense experience, which is here and now. This is where we feel. So we look at some sense contact and uh, and really notice the feeling tone, the pleasantness, unpleasantness, and the identification with our liking and disliking. And then, you know, the Buddha asks the question, and where does it cease? Right? So we have the sense contact, seeing things, hearing things, thinking things, smelling, tasting things, touching things. They're pleasant and unpleasant. Liking and not liking is right there with the pleasant and unpleasant. We take it personally, the pleasantness, unpleasantness, and we take the liking and the not liking uh, personally, and there's the grip, the grip of suffering. And so it's right there with sense experience that craving arises, and it's right there with the sense experience that it ceases. So that's the, you know, with that example I gave of the cat being sick or any kind of Difficult experience, we're just holding the reality of that experience. And we see the attachment because that will be there, that because of the deep habit to personalize these difficult experiences, that's going to be there, the attachment. Oh. But it takes some discernment to really see the attachment to desire. Because we don't want to mistakenly think. I shouldn't, you know, like this unpleasant thing, I shouldn't be experiencing this as unpleasant. It's more like this is unpleasant. There is not liking. But the abandoning of attachment is realizing that it's okay for unpleasant experience to arise, and it's okay not to like unpleasant experience. It's about what's not there. There doesn't need to be attachment. A grip that comes from the sense of self. So it arises with sense experience. It ceases right there with these sense experiences. These will be our teachers. This is a little passage from Joseph Goldstein's book, Mindfulness. Really powerful book. Kind of, I think, the summation of, you know, Joseph's many decades of teaching here, and most of you know Joseph was a really important teacher of mine, still is. Um, yeah, and, and this is the chapter on the Four Noble Truths, and he's uh, Joseph writes in, at this place um, in the book, All craving is sustained by and feeds the sense of self. And this is the fundamental wrong view unwise view that keeps the wheel of samsara rolling along a self to gratify, a self to clone in the future a self to get rid of. The great discovery in our practice is that on one level birth and death, existence and non-existence, self and other are the great defining themes of our lives and on another level It's all just a dance of insubstantial appearances that the Buddha called the magic show of consciousness. And this is the thing. It's not so much about leaving behind the world of sense experience. When we see the cessation of attachment, we know so much more how to live in the world of sense experience, how to participate in community. But when we're always relating with attachment, everything in life is hard. You know, when that's sort of our basic way of showing up, it's just hard to be like, to even have a close relationship with another person if we're really attached to that person liking us or really attached to the relationship going a particular direction. How many of us have ruined relationships with other people because of attachment? Undermine ourselves in a job because we got really afraid, really attached, really needing to succeed over and over again. It's almost a cliche, but you know how it is. You know, when we make peace with failure, when we learn and do our best to make peace with death, As I was saying, you know, when we fall in love, if we make peace with the fact that we don't know how this relationship is going to unfold. And even when we sort of do all the things and, you know, get married and buy a house or, you know, get a pet together or have children together, to always know that we don't know, that everything arises and everything ceases. And we're making peace with it. We're sort of like knowing like, oh, yeah, I'm taking this on. The enormity of gain and loss, pleasure and pain, fame and disrepute, praise and blame, like we're, we're coming right into the middle of that. It's not about freedom from suffering, it's not about like getting ourselves somewhere where there aren't those worldly winds of pain and pleasure, gain and loss, fame, disrepute, praise and blame. It's not about getting away, it's about learning to be in that movement without being pushed around by it. And it's really that insight, wherever we notice attachment we want to establish this kind, fearless, patient presence. What happens when I really get interested in attachment, really feel it, see it? relax with it, does it cease, does it end on its own without anybody having to get rid of it? This is the important thing is to see that attachment isn't constant. Because when I'm attached to my partner, my cat, my health, the attachment, the grip feels, because it's synonymous with self, it feels permanent. But when we study it with mindful awareness, with wisdom and awareness, we actually, and this is what changes our life, we see that attachment is inconstant. It's impermanent. And when it falls away, even if it's just for a moment, we see something that changes us. And we see that more and more, the heart gets changed more and more. We become someone who's not afraid of desiring and not even afraid when, because of habit, we fall back into attachment. Because we're learning. Oh, yeah, I need to acknowledge the attachment. I need to acknowledge the squeeze of the heart that comes with attachment. I need to reaffirm one more time that attachment ceases. And this leads to the integration of the third noble truth there is a cessation of suffering, there is a heart free of grasping. This mind, this heart can be experienced free of grasping. This should be realized, fully realized, fully integrated. It has been fully integrated. These are the next three insights. As that insight into non-grasping matures, then, and really only then, does the path get clear, like how to live this life in a way that leads to full awakening. Otherwise, the path is kind of theoretical. I mean, we, we kind of learn through the school of hard knocks, you know, when we're living in a way that planting seeds for more suffering, you know, eventually the suffering wakes us up. But the more we have a taste of non-grasping, realizing these little moments, sometimes big moments, of this life, this hard mind, no grasping. And really feel that freedom, that participation without any of that squeeze, that weight, then we understand like sila and how to, you know, this valuing of non-harming in our actions in the world, and the valuing of a calm presence, and the valuing of the deepening of wisdom, of non-attachment, of not-selfing, So that's where we're going for the last three weeks of our course. Next week we'll have small groups. And uh, so one of the things, of course, anything will be relevant for those who are going to stick around for the small groups next Monday. But one of the themes you might want to share is just little or big moments where there was this patience with attachment, this real curiosity with attachment, trusting, like, this is my teacher. And maybe moments of seeing attachment fall away, seeing craving fall away. Oh, this is the mind free of craving. Even if just a faint or a ephemeral moment before the mind picks up craving again. Oh, now I'm a Buddhist. Now I'll do this. And we're back back in the suffering. So wishing everybody a good week. Thanks for showing up tonight. It's been nice to be here together. And have a good week of practice, everybody. This talk, like all programs at Common Ground, is offered freely in the spirit of generosity. To learn more about Common Ground and its programs, or if you would like to donate, please visit our website, www.commongroundmeditation.org. Thank you for listening.